As we continue our worship and our celebration of the birth of our Lord, uh, I would invite you to turn your Bibles with me now to Matthew chapter 1. This is one of the most uh, beloved and often read passages of Scripture uh, when it comes to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ. So we'll, uh, we'll begin there in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And as I uh, read this for you, again, I remind you, this is the inspired Word of God, so please give careful attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, when we read this uh, phenomenal passage, we are reminded of the great biblical truth of the incarnation, of God becoming a man. Richard Sibbs, one of the English uh, Puritans, said that the incarnation of Christ is a miracle of miracles. And Martin Luther said that to even proclaim this doctrine, we need new tongues to express it. So that the incarnation of Emmanuel, as this son shall be called, is one of the most precious truths of Christianity. In verses 22 and 23 of the passage I've just read, Matthew explains that the message that the angel gave to Joseph, that the baby in Virgin Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not an act of unfaithfulness on her part. And that she would bear a son. And that they would call this son by the name of Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins, is all in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of chapter 7, verse 14, which is quoted in verse 23. That the virgin will conceive and the virgin will give birth to a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What I'd like for us to do this morning is just to reflect for a little bit on the glory of the incarnation of Emmanuel. 
Because the name that's given in verse 23 is a name that is so rich and pregnant with meaning. So I'd like for us to begin by reflecting upon the significance of the name Emmanuel that the prophet announces will be the son's name. First off, as you think of the name Emmanuel, we certainly find that it speaks to the person of Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And that name speaks to the very person, the very nature, the very character of what this son would be. Notice uh, in this context, he's actually given two names. In verse 21, the angel tells Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus means Yahweh saves or the Lord is salvation. And it speaks to the work of what this child would do and accomplish. But he's also called the name Emmanuel in verse 23. That's what Isaiah prophesied his name would be. But here it's more of his title. Because Jesus is his personal name, but Emmanuel, or God with us, is more the title that represents uh, who he is. And obviously it means God with us. Now Jesus has many titles and many names given to him throughout the Scriptures. He's called the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, He's called the Good Shepherd, the Head of the Church, the Bridegroom. He's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's our Advocate. He's the Bread of Life, the Chief Cornerstone, our Great High Priest. He's the Servant of the Lord. He's the Great I Am. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the Light of the World. He is the Door. He is the Word. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's our Mediator. He's our Messiah. He's our Lord and Savior. He's the Son of Man and the Son of the Most High God. He's the true Vine. He's the Way, the Truth, and the Life. He's the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And all of these names shed light on His eternal glory, and His redemptive glory. And all of these names and titles of our Lord are like the colors of the light being refracted through the prism of His glory. So that the light of Christ shining through this this prism just refracts out into all the beautiful myriad colors that are all necessary to catch a glimpse of the glory that He possesses. As we look more closely at verse 23, as Matthew uh, sums up Isaiah and quotes for us Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Notice how that verse begins. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He begins with the word behold because the word behold introduces something that is extremely rare. Something wondrously great and glorious. So He wants our attention. And so 
the Spirit of God who inspired Isaiah to record these words that Matthew repeats is, Behold, I have something incredible to tell you about. Listen up. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. Lend me your ears. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. So behold, this is a wondrous thing. And basically, there are two wonders that are mentioned in verse 23. The first is that a virgin shall be with child. Well, that's a miracle. That doesn't happen unless it's a miracle that a virgin becomes pregnant. Behold this wonder that a virgin shall be with child. And the second part of the wonder is that this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us, God who becomes a man and lives with us. That is the second wonder. This is the second amazing thing that the prophet tells us about. So the meaning of this honorary title, Emmanuel, is not just a figurative expression of a man who represents God among other men. It's far more than that. It's not a figurative expression of a man who is full of God, like a, a, a holy man that's full of the Holy Spirit. It's No, it's way more than that. For this Son to be given the name Emmanuel, or God with us, is, is a truth that is a wondrous revelation of God that God Himself will come down as a man and take to Himself a human nature. This is not just a token name. This speaks to the very person, the very character of who Jesus Christ would be. He is God now as a man. God with us in human form. Later on, or back in Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet will speak uh, similar words about this son that will be uh, given this child that will be born, and he will be called Mighty God in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Mighty God. He is God. But Emmanuel is, is, is equally, if not more, glorious because it says that God will be with us. Not only is His Son God in human flesh, but He is God with us. And that speaks greatly not only to His character, His person, who He is, but also to His work. That God will be with us in Emmanuel expresses the nearness and closeness of God the Son who is fully human and also fully God. He will be with us. This has never happened before. It will never happen again. This is a totally unique event that the virgin gives birth to a son who will have the title because it speaks the truth of who he is, that he is God with us. And again, this is not only rare, it's totally unique. It's one of a kind, never to happen again. It's an unrepeatable event. It's a singularity. So that when Isaiah 9-6 says that his name will be called Wonderful, it's speaking a glorious truth. 
His name is wonderful. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. This is extraordinary. This is full of wonder. This is beyond one's power to even comprehend or to understand that God is now with us. So that the name Emmanuel describes the wondrous glory of His person. He is not just a man. He's more than a man. He's the God-man in our midst. But the name Emmanuel not only describes the person, the character, the nature of Jesus Christ, this Son that will be born of Mary, but it also speaks to the plan of Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel speaks to the person of Jesus Christ, but it also speaks to the plan of Jesus Christ. The plan of redemption is all summarized in this name, Emmanuel, God with us. So that the name Emmanuel summarizes the purpose and plan of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. From the Garden of Eden all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. The name Emmanuel summarizes God's plan of redemption. Let me quickly walk you through this this amazing revelation of this name. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, God was with them. They had immediate uh, fellowship with God. God's presence was with them in the Garden. There was the Tree of Life, you remember. There was the river of water flowing out of Eden to, to, to water the Garden. And there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So at this original time, there was no curse. There was no sin. There was no death. There was perfect health and joy. Perfect fellowship with God in their midst. And I think the Lord God walked with them and talked with them and communed with them probably in the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden. So that God was with them in the garden. Emmanuel had a fulfillment in the Garden of Eden as God was with Adam and Eve. But then came the sin. Eve was tempted by uh, the serpent. She fell into sin. Adam fell into sin. And they lost and forfeited that nearness of God. They lost and and forfeited God's presence with them as it had been before. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 tells us that your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. And that's what sin does. It it separates. It ruins God with us. So that God is no longer with us because of our sin. Our sin has made a separation between us and the Holy God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we read that God drove the man out of the Garden of Eden. And at the east end of the garden, He stationed the cherubim, which are angels, and the flaming sword to guard the way back to the tree of life. In other words, the way back was blocked until the time when the seed of the woman would repair the breach. So that 
Emmanuel, God with them, was lost. Paradise was lost because of sin. There was now a rupture and a separation so that the nearness and the presence of God was no more because of human sin. It's at this point, after Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden, driven out of the Garden of Eden, where God's presence was still identified with. It's at that time that God in His mercy began to implement a plan of redemption. And very gradually and slowly, He began to to restore this broken relationship where He can now come back and be with His people. And so gradually we find that throughout the Old Testament, God will appear to different people. He appeared to Abraham in the city of Ur in, in Haran. He appeared later to Moses at the burning bush and then later to Gideon before the battle of the Midianites. And yet all of this was really not God with us. God manifested His presence in a very temporary, short-lived way. He would manifest His form in some form of a Christophany, as we would say, an appearance of Christ. But it was only there for a moment, and then He would disappear and He would vanish. It was not God with them in a permanent relationship in any way at all. Then later, God ordered Moses to make a tabernacle. And there God began to dwell among His people more permanently, but still not personally. God's presence was, was obscured in a cloud by day and fire by night. And when He manifested His presence, it was inside of a tent in the very back room of the tent. So God was there, but there was no real personal relationship with Him. God with us is only in a distant, vague, temporary form. And then God ordered uh, David and Solomon to build a temple. So it's a more permanent form as it's located in Jerusalem, but it's still not very personal. God was hidden in the back of the building. God manifested His presence in the cloud, but it really wasn't God with them like it had been even in the Garden of Eden. So that what was hinted at before now becomes clearly prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, which Matthew quotes in verse 23, that behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus. This particular prophecy says that a much more glorious fulfillment of God restoring the fellowship lost by human sin would take place in the life and ministry of this Son. He would be God with us in human flesh. That's what incarnation means. The, the carn in the word incarnation means flesh. And when God comes in human flesh, that's the incarnation. John in his Gospel spoke of that very clearly in chapter 1, verse 14, when he said the Word, one of the names for Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So that in the birth of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, we find that the Holy Spirit had joined together the Son of God, the eternal, infinite Son of God, with the human nature inside the womb of Mary. So that God the Son permanently joined Himself with a human nature, with human flesh and a human soul. He was born in our nature. He lived in our nature. He was crucified and died in our nature. He became a curse for us in our nature. He was buried in our nature. He rose again in our nature. He's now in heaven in our nature. And He will come again in our nature at the day appointed by the Father. He is now and forever God as a man. The God-man. That's the glory of the Incarnation. That's the glory of Emmanuel. So that God the Son did not come down to unite His divine nature with the nature of an angel. Angels can't be redeemed. No, He came down and united Himself with the nature of humans. A human nature. A complete, full human nature. Except there was no sin. He became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh that He might represent us on the cross, die for our sins, and save us from the wrath that we deserve. So that when Emmanuel was born, you have the beginning of God in the flesh, living, walking, eating, touching, teaching, training. God became one of us. And this is the marvel of what we celebrate the beginning of at Christmas time. This is an incredible, humble act for God to do this. You know, in, in Psalm 113, verse 6, it says that God humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Now think about that for a second. God humbles Himself to merely behold the heavens and the earth. And what this signifies is that God is so infinitely greater than the cosmos that He has created that He must humble Himself to even gaze upon the billions of galaxies that are out in space, much more to look upon the tiny little planet of earth. He is so great and glorious, He must humble Himself to even behold His creation. But how much more humility for this holy, infinite, eternal Son of God to come down to earth and to take the form of a man. And this is a mystery that our minds cannot fully comprehend. How does that happen? How does God, the Son, take to Himself a human nature, a second nature, so that now He's fully God and fully man, yet in one person... How does that happen? And there's a mystery, of course, that we cannot fathom. Spurgeon says it's the infinite, that that Jesus Christ is, is infinite and an infant. He's eternal and yet born of a woman. He's the Almighty and yet He is held in the arms of His mother. He's a helpless babe in a manger. 
And though He supports the universe in His divine nature, He's carried about in His mother's arms. It's a mystery that we just cannot fully understand the humility of God the Son willing to come down and take a nature like yours and mine. Thomas Watson and another Puritan said, for Christ to be made flesh was more than for all the angels to become worms. That's how lowly He stooped to take on a human nature. So for God to be with us, He must also be God for us. Because before He can be with us, He must repair the breach caused by our sin. Christ didn't become a man to live with those who loved Him and worshipped Him. He didn't come down and everyone in the whole world applauded the coming of the Son of God and rushed to worship Him and adore Him. No. He came down from heaven and took on a human nature to save those who are in rebellion against Him. To save those who refuse to serve Him. To save those who are all full of living only for themselves and care nothing for God nor for others. He came down to live and to die that He might save those who by nature are sinners and God-haters and children of wrath. And yet the Son of God in love came down to earth, took on a human nature so that He might save them and claim them as His own prized treasure. And what a prize. What a prize. For Him to come down and save us from our sins, the price was His death. So that on the cross, He cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And He endured at that moment the wrath of God being poured out upon Him that He might suffer in our place for our sins. He was forsaken by God the Father. Why? He was forsaken. He must be forsaken for us to be forgiven. He must be forsaken that we might never be forsaken, never abandoned, never deserted, never rejected. That He was for a time separated from the Father that we might be united back with God. He bore the penalty for our sins that, he might, that we might be with Him again forever. He became God with us that we might be with Him. So you see that the name Emmanuel is all about the flow of redemptive history beginning in the Garden of Eden to restore the fellowship, the presence of God with us which sin had separated and severed because of God's holiness. But there's a final phase to the meaning of Emmanuel. And that will ultimately be climaxed in paradise. This is the, really the end goal of what the name Emmanuel ultimately is designed to bring about. Not only does Emmanuel speak to the person of Christ, it speaks to the plan of Christ, and ultimately is to bring God with us again forever. So that Emmanuel is not only God with us in our nature, Emmanuel speaks to God with us forever. 
so that the personal fellowship with God that Adam and Eve lost in the garden is now gloriously restored. And there's far more than that than what we see in this life. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So the very pinnacle, the ultimate end goal of giving that baby born of a virgin the name Emmanuel is ultimately finally accomplished in the new heavens and the new earth when the new Jerusalem is is established on the new earth as our heaven forever. And there again is the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God in Revelation chapter 22. There again is the tree of life yielding its fruit and its leaves for the healing of the nations. But there in that future time, there will be no longer any curse, no death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more night. Because the glory of the Lamb, Emmanuel, will be among His people and His light will shine forth throughout that land so that you'll never have need of the sun by day or the moon by night. There is no night because the light of the Lamb of God will shine forever throughout the new Jerusalem. And then Emmanuel will dwell again among His people. Not in a cursed world, but in a redeemed world, in a glorified world, in a glorified Garden of Eden restored by Jesus Christ. So that we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, where he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And He will dwell among them and they shall be His people and God Himself will be among them. That is Emmanuel. That is the fulfillment of the glory of what the baby accomplished who was born from the virgin's womb. That it would bring about our salvation so that God can dwell with His people again. And the greatest part is found in Revelation 22, verse 4, when it says, and they shall see His face. We shall see His face. God the Son will live amongst us and we will see His face. God with us. That's the final phase, the glory of what the name Emmanuel came to signify. And that, as a Puritan says, is the heaven of heaven to see and behold the face of Jesus Christ. So the question is raised, well, why the incarnation of Emmanuel? Why must Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, be incarnated? Why must the Son of God become a man? And that's one of the great issues that Anselm Uh, dealt with in his uh, classic treatise called Curdeus Homo. And answering that question, why the God-man? Why must Emmanuel come and be born of a virgin? Well, he walks through the answers. Quickly, I can review that for you. The first reason for the incarnation and why it was necessary is because it was man that sinned. It was man that sinned. God created man for eternal fellowship, but man sinned and severed that. So though God was with them in the Garden of Eden, then they were expelled 
He was no longer with them because sin, man sinned and ruined that, that presence and fellowship with God. And by the way, all of us have sinned as well. As Scripture tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us here in this room today is a sinner. We have all sinned. And that sin naturally severs us from our relationship with God. So the first reason God must become incarnate, He must become a man, is because it was man that sinned. Secondly, it's man that must suffer for his sin and pay the penalty for his sin. God is a righteous judge and must punish those who break His laws. If He did not punish sin, which breaks His laws, then He would be an unjust judge. So it was man that sinned. It's man that must pay the penalty for his sin. Number three, man cannot pay that penalty. But God can. Man can't pay the penalty for his sin. Those who refuse Jesus Christ will be cast into hell. They'll never get out. They'll never finish paying that debt. Man cannot redeem his soul from his sin. Only God can. See, only man ought to pay the penalty for his sins, but he cannot. Only God can pay the penalty for his sins, but he ought not. He didn't sin. God ought not pay that debt. We're the ones who are guilty of sin. We're the ones that should pay that that penalty. But we cannot pay it. Only God can. That's why Psalm 49, verse 7 says, no man can redeem by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and you should cease trying forever. And if you can't redeem your brother, you can't redeem yourself. And basically Psalm 49 says it's impossible. It's too costly. Forget about it. You'll never do it. And since only man ought to pay the penalty for his sins... But only God can pay the penalty for His sins. Then for our salvation to take place, God must become a man to pay that penalty. Only man should. Only God can. So that there would be no salvation, no forgiveness except for the incarnation of the Son of God. God becomes a man. So that now He is the God-man. He's a man who ought to pay the penalty for our sin, but He's God who alone can pay the penalty for our sin. And without a God-man, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. And the way our Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, pays for our sin is He must die. He must shed His blood. As Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so what God did is He sent down His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans 8.3, as an offering for sin. That's the only way sinners could be redeemed. And since we share flesh and blood, Jesus Christ came down and partook of the same in Hebrews chapter 2. He was made like His brethren in all things so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation 
for the sins of the people. Propitiation. Very important word. What does it mean? To remove God's wrath from His people. When God is propitiated, His wrath is removed. How is His wrath removed? Because it was poured out upon our substitute. It was poured out upon Jesus Christ. He bore it all so that the wrath of God was removed from those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why it took a God-man to be our Savior. No one else can save you. It's absolutely impossible. The only one who can save us must be God who alone can pay the debt, but He must also be man who alone ought to pay the debt so that the only Savior that can save anybody must be fully God and fully man. And there's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. That's why Moses can't save anybody. Mary can't save anybody. Mohammed can't save anybody. There's only one God-man. There's only one Emmanuel, God with us, who is able to save us from our sins. And that's why Peter in Acts 4 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's through Jesus Christ or it's no salvation at all. There's no other way. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. There's no other way. There's only one way. And that's through Emmanuel. Well, in conclusion, this precious name that Isaiah prophesies under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, And they will call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that those who have recognized their sin, and they recognize that they deserve the just judgment of God, and that God has convicted them of their sins, and they want to be forgiven, and they come to Jesus Christ alone and they ask for His forgiveness and they believe in Him and trust in Him that through His death on the cross, He can and will save every sinner that calls upon Him. And we come to Him in faith. Then now, Emmanuel becomes a very sweet name for us. Emmanuel. God with us. Now we have more to look forward to in the New Jerusalem, in the fulfillment, the climax of what it means for God to be with us. But we have God with us now. And not only God with us, but each of us, every believer in this room can say, God with me. God with me now. So that one of the great blessings is that now we have fellowship restored with the living God. And again, it's not just God with us as a church, which is true, but it's God with me as an individual who has faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this is a blessed truth that God is with you because of what Emmanuel has accomplished. Even before the Incarnation, back when the promises were so rich and developing throughout the Old Testament, even King David could write in Psalm 23 of this blessed truth of having God's presence with him. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil 
for you are with me. See, he experienced a foretaste of the glory of the coming of Jesus Christ by having and knowing God was with him even in the darkest hours of his life. Even when he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he knew that the Lord was with him. See, that's the, that's the Old Testament version of experiencing God with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, had Christ with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. Paul could even say when he was in prison that in my first offense, no one supported me, all deserted me. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord was with me. And I don't know if you ever have times in your life when you feel isolated or you feel alone or you feel abandoned. As sometimes we do. You can always know that the Lord is with you. Because He's Emmanuel. That's His character. That's His person. But that's also the fulfillment of His plan. Paul could say that The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Even when he was in prison, God is with his people. Just as Christ was with his disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm, he's always with us. Whether we feel his presence or see his presence or not, he is always faithfully Emmanuel. He is always with us. Again, we don't always see that or we don't always feel his nearness. But we walk by faith and not by sight. And the Lord has promised that He's always Emmanuel to His people. I will never leave you, He says. I will never forsake you. So that God is with you everywhere, every day, in every way. Jesus Christ is your Emmanuel. He's with you. He'll never leave you. Now, in times of trials, His presence may be that He gives us the the grace to persevere. He's with us then. He gives us grace to weather the storm, to stand up again after we've been knocked down. Sometimes His presence is with us when He brings hope in the midst of discouragement. When He brings light into the midst of our darkness. When He gives us a thankful heart even in the midst of suffering. Emmanuel is always with His people. He is with us now in spirit. The Lord Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, but through His Spirit, He is with us. He is in us. He is our Emmanuel even today. He often manifests His presence to us also in the Word of God where He stands up and speaks peace to the winds and the waves of our life where He sends joy into our despair where He fills us our emptiness with hope. How precious is the Word of God because Emmanuel brings His practical nearness and presence in many ways to His people when they spend time in the Word of God. The remedy for our vision in this life which oftentimes is blurred and we don't see God's presence is to spend time in the Scriptures As it says, when our vision gets blurred, let us turn to the Word. For in seasons of night, let us walk by its light. Because He's always with us. Though we don't always see it. We don't always feel it. 
But when we go to the Word of God, the Spirit of God rekindles within us that precious truth that He is my Emmanuel today and at this hour and all the time, even in seasons of darkness. He never leaves us. God can no more forsake you or leave you or forget you than a mother can forget her nursing child, says Isaiah. That we're inscribed or tattooed, if you will, on the palms of His hands. We are always with Him. He is always with us. And that's one of the great, precious, practical truths of this name Emmanuel given to this child. And not only is God with me now, God will be with me and you forever. Now it's true we have many enemies that would like to sever us from God's love. To separate us from His presence. But they'll all totally and finally fail whether it be Satan or the world, our own sinful struggles, it will all fail because we're promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, that's the fulfillment of Emmanuel. He is with us. He will never leave us. And He's with us now, and He'll be with us forever. Paul could say that though everyone abandon me, God will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. And that's a promise that we can enjoy as well. So that God is with us in life. God will be with us in death. And God is with us forever. So the incarnation of Emmanuel is what Christmas is all about. It's far more than just the lights and the presents that we enjoy in celebrating. But if it's only about the lights and the presents, then Christmas just becomes another empty religious holiday. And sadly, this is how most people celebrate Christmas. They, they gut it from its meaning. And it's all about just the outward ceremonies of the season. But you see, Christmas is far more. It's about the scope of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. Of a loving, gracious God who overcomes our sin that separated us from Him gradually in the Old Testament, restoring His presence, but at a distance and veiled and hidden inside a tent and then hidden inside of a temple until the fullness of time when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and Emmanuel came upon human history. Christmas is about a a virgin-born baby to whom we sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. But for God to be with us, He must become a man to die for us, to save us from our sin that had separated us from Him in the Garden of Eden that we might be with Him forever. And no one else can do that but Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the glory of the story. That's the reason for the season. It's the incarnation of Emmanuel. So Christmas, well, that's the beginning point. That's the miracle of miracles. That's the 
the gospel story that begins that we need new tongues to proclaim. It's about a Savior who is born, who is God with us both now and forever to those who love Him, to those who believe in Him. So in conclusion, how should we respond to such a gift? How should we respond to such a miracle of miracles that we celebrate this time of year? Well, the wise men brought Him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus doesn't need all that. He's now in heaven. He has all the universe at His disposal. So what gift can we give Him? Be sure to add His name on your Christmas shopping list as you try to wind that up the day before Christmas coming up. What gift can we give Him? I think Isaac Watts summed it up best in his great hymn when he said, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let us give to Christ our hearts, our souls, our all, because of all that He has given to us to live with us forever in heaven through dying on the cross for our sins. So may God help us to worship Him in light of that this season. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank You that uh, though we can celebrate the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ every day of the year, that we thank You, Lord, that we have this special season each year when we can draw a special emphasis to the miracle of miracles of God being conceived in the womb of a virgin who would be given the name of Emmanuel, that He would be God in human flesh, that He would be fully God and fully man, for that's what it took for Him to die, to suffer for our sins, to repair the breach that sin created that separated us from God. There is only one way back, And that's through Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Savior. There is no other form of forgiveness. No one else who can take away our sins. No one else who can fulfill the promise of God with us both now and forever. There is yet but one, only one, a singularity, totally unique. And that is Your Son, Jesus Christ. And oh, Father, we would pray that if there is anyone here this morning who has found themselves involved in Christmas just for the lights and just for the presents, but have never really wrestled with the fact that they have sinned against God, and one day they will stand before the judge and give an account of every thought and word and deed. Oh, God, would you grant them grace, convict them of their sin. Open their hearts that they might see the glory of Christ and call upon Him and believe upon Him and trust Him alone 
to forgive them of all of their sins, that this Christmas season might be the beginning of their Emmanuel experience of God with us through Jesus Christ. So Lord, receive our praise, receive our worship today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.